0: wasn't a new idea, but it took a long time for the powers that be to take it seriously.
1: Alyssa and I traversed the twists and turns that brought the notion of a female doctor to reality.
0: Welcome to the September 26th edition of This Week in Time Travel.
1: Just a couple of weeks, and we're almost there to the start of Season 11. Series 11, excuse me. Ah, I'm such a bad fan.
0: Shame on you, Chip. But not really, because I do that all the time.
1: (laughs) uh, That's right. There really is A-B testing for how good an old-school fan you are if you know the distinction between a season and a series.
0: In fairness to us Americans... We use season and series differently than how they do, so there's a little bit of ingrained programming to get over.
1: Speaking of ingrained programming, once upon a time, it was unthinkable that a doctor could be anything other than a man. On today's episode of This Week in Time Travel, we're going to dig into sort of the history of how we got to this point.
0: This is going to be adapted from my Black Archive book that just came out recently. So there will be some pieces of it that are left out. And trust me, you do want the full story because it's even weirder than you think it is. But we're going to give you some of the highlights this time around, and uh, I hope that you enjoy it.
1: But first, as usual, we get into the news and we'll start off with a quick walk through some of the highlights of Thursday's Doctor Who magazine that came out. Which increasingly is becoming a source of official information because they've managed to lock down all other sources, pretty much.
0: It's kind of a source of whatever little drips and drabs Chibnall danes to pass on to us this week.
1: Right. And um, among the drips and draps were uh, some episode previews that could not have been less informative because they are very good and spoiler protectant for our first two episodes. The Woman Who Fell to Earth and The Ghost Monument. Basically, what Chipnell is willing to tell us about The Woman Who Fell to Earth is it is a story about aliens in Sheffield.
0: Which apparently there never are any
1: apparently, and that The Ghost Monument is a story that picks up soon after the first episode and is a stranded-in-space story. No more details for you.
0: None. No details.
1: He does provide, in his production notes column, uh, Chris Chibnall does provide something of a defense of the Sunday scheduling and... uh He spends an awful lot of time about how ratings have changed since Doctor Who came back in 2005 to today. He talks about the importance of not just the overnight ratings, not just the plus 7 ratings, but also the plus 28 ratings, the the people who've time-shifted episodes for four freaking weeks. That strikes me as a little bit defensive, but also a little bit, you know, realistic. Fans are going to be... Watching how Doctor Who does on its new day with its new doctor like a hawk. And he is telling fans in his production notes to just, you know, take it all in stride. But because overnight ratings do have some importance still, he's also asking fans to please recruit. If you've got any friends who have been on the fence about Doctor Who or have drifted away Come on, this first episode is a perfect jumping-on point. Come on, bring him over.
0: Also, since he's not revealing any details about the show, he really doesn't have anything else to talk about in his production notes column, which may be why we get so long of a discussion of ratings.
1: Mm-hmm. There was an interesting conversation on the most recent episode of the Excellent Reality Bomb podcast, where... The fact that Doctor Who is not only making such a breathtaking change in its leading actor, but also is moving to an entirely new night, fans are going to want to compare ratings from year to year, and it's, by moving from Saturday to Sunday, it's just apples and oranges. We just don't know how it's all going to affect everything. So, you know, the biggest question is, do people like it? basically everything else is academic
0: and also kind of at this point irrelevant like it's not going to get canceled after this first season it's just not like i think we're a very data driven kind of fandom in certain corners of it and Love the numbers if that's your thing, get into the math. Do not use them to make doom and gloom predictions. We're going to have enough of the trolls trying to insist that this season is going into the toilet. We do not need to be feeding into that attitude. Have no. fun with the numbers a little bit later.
1: No, but you, if you are really really concerned about ratings and other stats, I do commend you to the Radio Free Scaro podcast and be sure to send a message over Twitter to Warren Fry at Radio Free Scaro asking him about ratings and stats. That's at F R E Y B U R G.
0: Didn't we just have a discussion about how we were not going to be trolls or feed the trolls?
1: I'm not feeding a troll. Warren's a perfectly upright human being.
0: Warren is going to kill us at the next galley.
1: Well, me, possibly. You'll be fine.
0: I'll be there with a cocktail enjoying the show.
1: Ah, DWM also has some uh, profiles of the new and returning production staff. I had forgotten that Andy Pryor, who has been there right from the beginning, has been retained as casting director. There is also an article that I took particular note of. A history of TARDIS interiors that barely gets us into the 80s. And then, hmm... So you're possibly going to need at least another issue of the magazine to get through the rest of the classic series and into the moderns. There has been lots of speculation about when we're actually going to see the TARDIS in this season. And I take this as a hint that it's going to be a while. I'm just saying.
0: I do not buy into this theory. I have many friends who subscribe to this and I love you all dearly. I don't think that that is going to be the case, but we will get it when we get it.
1: And other news of the world of Doctor Who. There's a good rundown by Chuck Foster at Doctor Who of Jodie Whittaker's upcoming media blitz. She's going to be all over the place over the next week, including the Graham Norton show. And this is great. Jodie Whittaker, up and coming actress alongside oh i don't know lady gaga and bradley cooper and ryan gosling and rod stewart all on a single episode of graham norton show and she's going to be there right on the couch with all of the others she must be pinching herself this is the power of doctor who this is the power of being named the new doctor before a single second of an actual episode has aired
0: i'm just really looking forward to seeing her and lady gaga talk together that's going to be fantastic
1: We have new Missy the Audio Adventures episodes coming from Big Finish in February 2019, including Rufus Hound as the meddling monk. Okay, but standalone adventures with Missy and no doctors around Michelle Gomez recording stuff remotely while she was shooting the chilling adventures of Sabrina for Netflix.
0: Which is just very, very in brand for her. I think being Madame Satan and Missy at the same time is a, is a pretty good character role right there. You know, it gets you, gets you into the mood every single day.
1: Uh, did anything else happen in the last week, Alyssa?
0: I'm not sure. I feel like maybe something kind of big and massive and overwhelming and exciting might have happened. But, oh yes, a new trailer came out.
1: And because this is a Tuesday-dropping episode of the podcast, everybody's already seen the trailer, everybody's already talked the trailer, but, you know, it's our turn. It's great. Uh, They leaned in again to the same uh, Macklemore and Skylar Gray glorious song that they used for the date reveal teaser, and I continue to be very happy about that and thumbing my nose at old-fashioned fans who don't care for that. Any big takeaways for you from the trailer?
0: Have you ever seen that Birds Rights activist Twitter account that just has one tweet that says, I am uncomfortable when we are not about me? That's sort of my entire feeling towards people that are not fond of the glorious song in the trailer to the point of actively hating on it. Like, if that's not your song, that's not your song. But it's really appealing to a new audience of people. This is positioning it as the major pop culture iconic moment for everyone to to get in on this is also specifically appealing to internet fan culture amongst fairly young fans like this is exactly what i would expect to see from a fan-made trailer the song is modern upbeat it has lyrics that are incredibly thematic to what we are expecting to see for the new doctor in the new season it's very wonderfully produced beautifully edited. This is really appealing to the new generation of people that this show is going to bring in because guess what, people? That's how the show survives from year to year and generation to generation. It appeals to the new.
1: The doctor says that, you know, I'm the doctor. I help people. When when I see people who need help, I can't help but get involved or language like that that she shares while she's wearing uh, Peter Capaldi's old costume. That's a strong distinction, I think, compared to... Especially the Moffat-era doctors. Matt Smith, the first thing he tells Amy is that he never gets involved. And then he backpedals and says, of course he gets involved, especially when children cry. Peter Capaldi's doctor was not very warm and fuzzy up until the end when he said he does what he does because it's kind. There's something that just comes across as so humanistic and so driven by a sense of justice for this doctor in just those few quotes in this trailer that I don't recall feeling so strongly from previous doctors. At least the immediately previous ones.
0: I think it's kind of charting a new forward-looking direction for the show. What I particularly enjoyed from this trailer was seeing the interactions between the doctor and her new companions. I'm a big fan of a large group in the tardis you know season 8 from the classic series where the doctor's got his big unit family is one of my favorites uh because of that dynamic and there's that really fantastic moment where you have that off-screen character asking why the doctor is in charge and all three of her companions say because we say so you know that is a really fantastic thing to see in this trailer that she is going to be that kind of force within her group that the doctor gets that level of respect no matter what so i'm excited this this really amped me up uh, for this upcoming season
1: and yet told us just about nothing about what's actually going to be in those episodes i'm so impatient
0: patience grasshopper it's coming soon
1: Last little bit, I wanted to give a quick fan art shout out to Rosie Does Art Sometimes on Instagram. That's all one word, Rosie Does Art Sometimes, for her art, The Women Who Fell to Earth, 13th Doctor, Captain Marvel, looking at each other, finger guns.
0: It's beautiful and brilliant. And Rosie, uh, if that is your real name, I love you dearly. I hope that you hear this one day because that's great.
1: (laughs) And finally, not that, Alyssa, you've shared thoughts about the importance of a female doctor before or anything else like that. But you got tapped to talk about something on an upcoming episode of The Moment with Tom Dickinson.
0: Yes, I'll be talking about Jodie Whittaker's regeneration on the season finale of The Moment. I think that's going to come out about a week and a half from when this episode drops, but I'm not certain. So follow me on Twitter and follow The Moment Podcast on Twitter, and then you'll actually know about it when it comes out.
1: The Moment is one of my favorite new podcasts. Uh, I love what he's doing. We've talked about it before on this show. And it's been so great to see so many of my friends on Tom's podcast. Just saying. Love you, Tom.
0: We're going to take a break for a moment, and when we come back, I'm going to dive in and show you all the history of how we got to a woman doctor.
1: This week on The Incomparable Network.
0: A year before The Matrix, there was another film about identity, memory, the meaning of reality, and gunfire. It's 1998's Dark City on The Incomparable.
1: Lawrence Shane joins Scott to discuss the original series' first time-traveling trip to the 1960s, Tomorrow is Yesterday, on Random Trek.
0: And don't forget Tiffany Armett and Micah Sargent's rewatch of the American version of The Office on Somehow I Manage.
1: All this and more at incomparable.com. So really, Alyssa, nobody ever suggested that the Doctor should be a woman until, you know, we saw Jodie Whittaker take her hood off in that trailer last year, right?
0: Uh, No, very, very, very wrong. This idea has been circulating for a very long time in various levels of seriousness. And I wanted to go over a little bit how this idea came about as we are getting ready to welcome the 13th Doctor, because there's a lot of perception, even amongst well meaning people, that this came on suddenly out of nowhere or is only something that has been discussed about in the last
1: two years. A sudden, like, helicoptering in of the Social Justice Warrior Squad.
0: Yes, uh, the Diversiteers, as one wonderful person oh, on God. Twitter put it. I mean, honestly, they meant it as an insult, but I'm going to take that and run with it. But really, the idea has been around even since the classic season of Doctor Who. Uh, when I was researching this, the earliest reference that I found to someone suggesting that the Doctor could one day be a woman was Tom Baker. During his announcement that he would be leaving the show, he wished the next Doctor the very best of luck and said... Whoever he or she is. Now, when I first joined fandom, this was a thing that was passed around between fans online as evidence that there had been a lot of support for the idea very early. I found out later, though, that this was not really meant seriously. Tom Baker and the showrunner at the time, John Nathan Turner, had gotten a little drunk before this announcement that he would be leaving was made. It was kind of intended as a joke on the reporters in the audience, and they got a lot of really great headlines out of it. But uh, j and said later, there was never a chance then, nor do I think there ever will be, that the doctor could be played by a woman. Absolutely not. So... This was really not quite as serious and sincere as I originally thought it had been, but the idea was introduced and had started percolating around that time. And then, of course, there was Doctor Who's original creator, Sidney Newman, He had not worked on the show for quite some time, approximately two decades. And in 1986, he submitted a proposal to revitalize the show, which included regenerating the doctor into a woman. Now, we actually don't know how this idea was received. There's no documenting paperwork at the time to indicate how people in the BBC viewed this. There's a lot of interesting context in our friend Graham Burke's biography of Sidney Newman, so I would highly recommend that you go and read that as well uh, to get more information about what led Newman to propose the idea. But obviously, it never happened, and shortly thereafter, the series was cancelled. But during the wilderness years... There were a few other moments where we saw the potential of a woman doctor.
1: And one of them was delivered by a future showrunner.
0: Yes. Stephen Moffat, in his comedy special for charity, had Joanna Lumley play a future version of the doctor in The Curse of Fatal Death. Now, this was a parody, obviously. It was meant to be humorous and satirical. So it's it's a, you know... It's Stephen Moffat comedy portrayal of The Doctor, and I'll sort of leave it there. And uh, it might what, be. You don't
1: want to go into all of the stuff about The Doctor communicating with farts?
0: Not particularly, no. There's a lot of funny moments to The Curse of Fatal Death, and as you might imagine, uh, quite a few eyebrow-raising moments, particularly in uh, how Joanna Lumley's version of The Doctor was written. But she was not the only alternate woman doctor that was circulating in Big Finish's Unbound series, they propose some what-if scenarios, uh, not intended to be canon, but really intended to get you to think about how the show could have gone in different directions if different things had happened. And in their audio Exile, Arabella Weir played a woman version of the Doctor. Now, this was intended to be a sort of out-there version of the Doctor. Hard-drinking, kind of ridiculous, but kind of messed up version of the doctor. And there's been some regret expressed since the time that it was produced about really how they portrayed a woman doctor. I think the most disturbing aspect of it was that they suggested in the audio that the only way the doctor could change genders during regeneration was by committing suicide, which was a just completely stigmatizing and horrible suggestion for that to happen. But there are some other interesting aspects of that audio. I wouldn't highly recommend it. But it also remains kind of famous to this day, because this was the first appearance of David Tennant in any Doctor Who property. So, you know, take it as you will. There's some interesting parts of it. There's some stigmatizing parts of it. It's a part of the history of it.
1: So we fast forward to 2005 and we have a new show on the air. We have a showrunner, Russell T. Davis, who breaks a lot of ground in the show in terms of representation, introducing Captain Jack, introducing an interracial couple, you know, lots of stuff, but not very forward-looking when it comes to casting the Doctor.
0: No, Davies has said that casting a woman in 2005 was, quote, not on the to do list. So this was something that really wasn't on his radar. He has also said that he didn't really think about casting a woman as the doctor, in part because of how fandom and the broader TV watching community at large would react to it, saying that fathers would have a particularly difficult time with it because they will then imagine that they will have to describe sex changes to their children. So not feeling that it was the right moment for it and worried about how people might respond to it. So still a little bit of stigma and concern around the whole idea of a woman becoming the doctor. Then, of course, we jump ahead to when Stephen Moffat becomes the showrunner for Doctor Who. Now, he's got a little bit of a complicated story here because what is true is that he made almost all of the explicit references within the show to the fact that the doctor could be any gender. Uh, In fact, this was something he made explicit from the very first moments that he took over as showrunner. When the 11th doctor is regenerating, the doctor suggests at one moment that maybe he's a girl this time around. He isn't really sure. And then obviously, it's a boy, it's, it's Matt Smith, but it's brought up for the first time that it could happen. However, Moffat does often have a lot of controversy around him, because though he cast three different doctors, he never took the opportunity to cast a woman in the role, and he doesn't appear to have seriously considered a woman to ever play the doctor. His glib humor has also caused some controversy within fandom.
1: The subject of the treatment of women and of women's issues in Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who really triggers some profoundly polarizing opinion. He's got a lot of feminist defenders and feminist detractors. So complicated is absolutely the right word for Stephen Moffat, I think.
0: One moment that I particularly think of is when... They were making the announcement that Peter Capaldi was going to be the next doctor. He made a joke at the expense of Helen Mirren, who had been one of the most prominent voices at the time, uh, suggesting that the next doctor should be played by a woman. And he joked... I like that Helen Mirren has been going around saying this. I think it's about time that the queen was played by a man, referencing the fact that Helen Mirren had been the queen in two separate productions, which was fairly gutting for a lot of people that had been advocating for a woman to play the doctor because he kind of presented it as something ridiculous and silly and out there. So even though he's the one that wrote in most of the explicit references to the fact that a woman could play the Doctor and really laid the groundwork uh, for Jody Whittaker to come into the role, he's not been the best about showing that, yeah, we should take this seriously, and it's definitely a possibility that should happen. You know, he's cracked jokes at supporters' expense, which has made it difficult to really give him all the credit that he deserves.
1: Right. Right. So, some of the stuff that we're seeing in other fandoms, I'm especially thinking about Comics Gate right now. There is this mantra among conservative fans who basically see casting a woman or having a character gender changed or a comic book character, say, being replaced by a character of minority descent or something like that. They see that it's not Good storytelling. They see that it's diversity for diversity's sake. And I think that you see that tension a lot with white male showrunners. And I think Stephen Moffat sort of fell into that trap himself with at least one quote that you want it to be the right thing. He, he And he he, and he thought that Peter Capaldi was absolutely the right actor for the role of the 12th Doctor. And yet, what was that quote? Something about it, it should never be a political decision?
0: Yes. He said, it's not a political decision. It's an aesthetic decision and always will be. But, I mean, you all know me. Politics is my life. And what I would argue is that everything is political. The decision to cast a white male doctor in the role, even if you think he's absolutely the best doctor is a political decision that supports the status quo of the show, where only white men have been cast to play the lead role. And even the argument that it's an aesthetic decision is a really curious one to me, because one of the other things that he said around the time that Peter Capaldi was cast, that it was so impressive he cast such a different white man to play the role. Because what if it was another young man with floppy hair? The show would lose a bit of its magic. And it was so
1: groundbreaking to have another white guy in the role. And we're saying this as two people who freaking love Peter Capaldi as the doctor.
0: Exactly. You know, it it's something where you change the accent and the age and the hair, but it's still a white man and you still have to question the magic that says that really anybody could play the role. But Stephen Moffat has also gone back and forth on this a little bit because he later went against his own advice when he cast Michelle Gomez to play the master, a Time Lord that had to that point only been played by white male actors, except for one point in which he was a crispy, burned, alive human. But there was a white man underneath all of those prosthetics, so does not count. But he has said that he cast a woman to play the master Basically, as a political decision, his exact quote is to once and for all absolutely establish in plain sight. So not any doubt about this whatsoever. Yes, Time Lords can do that, meaning be male or female when they regenerate. Uh, so he made the decision to cast a woman before he had made a decision about the actor, which is very, very much against his previous advice. So he does go back and forth and change his mind and evolve a little bit on this issue. And now that brings us up to Chris Chibnall when he decided to cast his own doctor. Now, I've argued for a very long time that If and when a woman was cast for the role, it was going to have to be a very intentional decision. It was not going to be an open casting process of, yes, bring in absolutely everybody, and we will see who the best actor is. I thought that the showrunner would need to be very intentional about it to decide, yes, this time the Doctor should be a woman, and I will find the best actress to play the role, because otherwise, if you're going to think about your quintessential ideal doctor, you are going to go back to the default, which is white man. So I think we needed somebody to be more intentional about this. And Chris Chibnall has said from the beginning, he was only going to cast a woman for this role. He had decided that his first doctor, when he took over as showrunner, was going to be a woman. And he found the absolute best actress for the role, which was our own deeply beloved Jodie Whitaker. So that is the weird, complicated, convoluted history of how we got a woman to play the doctor. It's an idea that not a lot of people have believed in until very recently, even though it's been out there for decades. It took a lot of very difficult but deeply considered and thoughtful conversations to get there. And yeah, there were some trolls and there were some hurt feelings. But ultimately, this fandom and the crew that makes this show all collectively came together to say, this is something that we want. This is something that we're ready for. And this is absolutely the best person to take us into the future.
1: You kind of knew that it was going to happen because I could only imagine the kind of public revolt that would have happened if the 13th Doctor had been another white male.
0: You know, at that point, it was something that we felt was really needed at that time. We felt it had been long enough. And, you know, it's kind of like Moffat said, the show loses a little bit of its magic every time you hold to the status quo and don't live up to that potential that the Doctor really could be anybody. So it was time, and I'm so glad that they had the courage to dive in and make it happen.
1: Absolutely. People of color are still waiting. A good friend of ours once expressed disappointment that the casting did not go that far and have a female person of color in the role. It's going to take time, and for 55 years, Doctor Who has actually held to a fairly narrow vision of what the lead actor could be. The door has opened wider, it will open wider still. The best thing about having been immersed in the worlds of Doctor Who, and being part of its fandom for so many years... Well, I'll tell you what the best things weren't. It wasn't meeting and interviewing fascinating creators. It wasn't attending Gallifrey One or other conventions. It wasn't finding my voice as a podcaster or becoming part of a large fandom community. It's the small fandom communities, the close friendships along the way that have sustained me. I'm not one of the cool kids. I never will be. And yet I've fallen into some relationships that I genuinely don't feel like I deserve. And when I've been at my lowest, I've benefited from incredible acts of undeserved kindness. That's what Doctor Who has given me, a common language to forge bonds with people I would never have met otherwise. That common language, especially now on the eve of the 13th Doctor, is a language of inclusion, belonging, friendship, affection, and possibly most importantly, hope. I'm not taking anything away from the previous 55 years of fandom to say that there has never been a better time than now to be a Doctor Who fan and i'm grateful that dr who has given me the language and the conversational companions if excuse me conversational friends that keep me going today
0: thanks for joining us on this week in time travel you can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com we're on twitter at drwho this week Chip is on Twitter at numeral 2 minute time lord, and I'm on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. We're also on Facebook, too.
1: Christopher Breen gave us our original theme music. David J. Lord gave us our original artwork. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network, and tell all your friends about us. Next week, it'll be our last episode before Jody Whittaker Day.
0: Yay!
1: We'll see you then. Bye-bye.